0: if you 're if you're here as a guest, I officially apologize on behalf of Jesus God, the Trinity, the church world, everywhere uh, if you 're a regular attender, you deserve what you 're getting that 's uh, a <laughs> I think that I, I do want to welcome you to Northridge Church whether you 're a regular or you 're a guest. This is a place where we really try to take god 's truth and communicate it to where we live here in the 21st century in our lives and in a language that we can all understand. And so we're just thrilled, thrilled, thrilled that you're here. For those of you who are in the overflow areas, the video venues, it's great to have you here. Thanks so much for engaging us. And I'm just excited. For those of you who are guests, we have, we're have we actually one church in three locations. We have Northridge Brighton Howell, Northridge Ann Arbor Saline, and then Northridge Plymouth. And then we do significant ministry online through Northridge On Demand. And we're just... Really excited that you're here for this new series, and I I think that we need to, right here at the beginning, um, address the elephant in the room, all right? Uh, How many of you are Duck Dynasty fans? Raise your hand. Uh, Good for you, you know. Means you're cheering for your win yesterday. Was that pretty good? I congratulate you while I slam you at the same time. I mean, it's kind of how that goes. Um, go Spartans. I, I've, you know, good for you. Give you your props. Good for you. That's awesome. Um, you can listen to country music all you want. How, 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 how many of you have no idea what Duck Dynasty is? Raise your hand. My heroes. People who don't waste their time. That's great. Well... You need to know that Duck Dynasty is one of the biggest reality shows on right now. I mean, it is huge. It is huge. And I, I just don't get it. It deals with the Robertson family, right? And, and they're a family that became millionaires by selling in their small business duck hunting stuff, especially a duck call, Duck Commander is the name of the company, that that Phil, the dad, kind of invented, and Phil and his brother Sai started this company. And I'm going to tell you, um, Cy is one of the most sane individuals on the planet. It, they've come up with Saiisms, you know. If you if you want to live your life in a weird way, follow Saiisms, philosophies of life from Sai. But Phil also has sons, and this is the show. It includes all the family, but it's focused on the men who are really involved in the business. And along with Phil and Sai, there are Phil's sons. Jace, Willie, and Jeb. And the whole family of men are known for their long beards. I mean, long. They, you, they're squirrel nest beards. These things are crazy beards. And so what our team did was our team designed this series, this brand new series, loosely on the theme of Duck Dynasty. And I, I know why they did it. They did it to goad me, to bug me to irritate me because the entire series is going to be country music and country stuff and I'm going to be, you know, trying to, I'm going to have to take Tums and Prilosec and all kinds of stuff just to get through my talks because if you're a guest, I'm not really into the whole country gig. And, and just, so, just so you know, the team in the spirit of the series wanted me to grow a beard, Right? And it would have been three long hairs all the way down here. That's about the best I could have done with that. So I, I've turned them down, and our, t- our staff has been very engaged. We had tons of our staff in pictures with these fake beards on that line the hallways here at Plymouth, and we'll be around during this series. It's just a lot of fun. Uh, this new series, Buck Dynasty, in spite of the country theme, you need to know, that the, th- the theme of the series, the truths of the series, are extremely relevant to each and every one of us uh, as we get into this. And, and I'm going to tell you, we're, we're going to start moving into territory where we really get close to home. We, we really start creating the tensions in all of our lives about how we live and how we view our lives and what we live for and and it really involves finances. And for those of you who don't know, Jesus taught more about money than any other subject because it's the one that interferes with our love and devotion and worship and experience of God more than any other. And we're going to see that in the series. But along the way, some of you, if, you're, if you've been here for the last couple of months, are going to go, man, I wish we could just go back to that series Origins. You know, that Holy Land crap was awesome. It was great. None of this money junk, right? But the truth is it's the same theme when it comes right down to it because in the Holy Land you experience the the antithetical contrast between the kingdom of Herod and the kingdom of God, the kingdom of men and the kingdom of God, and, and that tension point. And this just highlights that as well. And, and I need you to know right up front, that this is not one of those series where, you know, there's a pastor pretending he's got it all together telling other people how they're supposed to live. This isn't, This isn't me saying that I'm not challenged by these things and, and pointing my finger at you and saying you shouldn't be challenged by these things, this is going to be a series where I simply enter a conversation about the tensions and the difficulties that I have in my own life with the area of money and finances and how my view tends to be distorted and my desires tend to be distorted and some of my choices tend to be distorted and, and I think I'm representative of, of all of us as human beings. And so right up front, please know, this isn't about what I want from you. It's what I want for you. I want you to know that the struggle's normal. I want you to know that we're all a part of it. And I also want you to know that God's given us some solutions that can lead to resolve and some freedom and some restoration, that there is a way to get a handle on our life when it comes to this if we really understand God's truth in this matter. And so I, I thought I'd start the whole series and this weekend in particular with just a couple of stories. From my past. They're simple ones. I could get longer and more in-depth, but just a couple of stories that will show you that I wrestle with a distorted view of money myself. And it was probably three or four years after Roxanne and I were married, and we had kind of finished up with a seminary where I went for some biblical training, and, and um, we were in ministry. And I know people have a weird perception of me. I mean, I know Northridge is a large church. You would you would think that this place was rolling in money, and I'm probably one of these pastors that you know rich, and it's just just not true. Um, I went into ministry, I left a path that my dad had set up for me to go into law and and very successful business, and I chose ministry because Jesus had so transformed my life I wanted other people to know him. But in doing that, I was leaving the pursuit of, of marketplace success and money and and we were impoverished. I mean, for the first two decades, really, of our ministry, living below the poverty line. And and here, with what God's done here, I I am privileged to be the pastor of this church. I am certainly well supported. But but I, I this is not one of those TV preacher boy get rich prosperity faith kind of deals. Um and. And so I know what it's like to live in a real world with the struggles of finances. Roxanne and I have uh, grown into generosity, and so we give quite a bit away, and, and we, like you, struggle with everyday realities. But when we were first married, the first three or four years, we, we were so poor, so poor. And I thought I had broken the grip of, you know, the whole money thing on my life by entering ministry, but I, I learned that I hadn't through a couple of experiences. One experience was um, we... We received a letter in, in the mail. Now, for those of you of a younger generation, this was, you know, traditional mail. It had, like, paper envelopes with a stamp on it. It, like, showed up in a box that was in your front yard, you know, and you had to wait for a certain time. You went and picked it, and you had to open it up, and that, that kind of thing. Just, I thought I should explain language. And we received this, uh, this envelope in the mail that said we were the grand sweepstakes winners in this unbelievably prosperous sweepstakes and it made sense to me because we were so poor Roxanne would fill out every single sweepstake application that came into our house saying if my husband won't provide maybe I can get lucky out there you know kind of deal and, <laughs> and, and so we, we won we won we picture someone showing up at our door with that big you know card saying millions of dollars yeah right and finally our grand sweepstakes prize came in the mail the envelope really small envelope, so it wasn't one of those big checks, but we thought it could be a big check in a small envelope. And I opened it up, and what was inside was this little inch-by-inch Ziploc plastic bag with this little teeny rock in the bottom of it, which was our grand prize. It was worth nothing. Along the way, before that came, we, we did pillow talk, and we'd talk about how our lives were going to change, and we might still do ministry once in a while, but we're going to be rich, you know, it's going to be great, and it, we really got carried away with it, and that was a huge disappointment to us. Another story, when when I was the pastor of this church early on, this was, the church was very, very different back then. We were struggling in a significant way, small, 17 miles east of here, and, and uh, a, a guy came into our ministry who was really broken, really hurting, and we got to walk alongside him and introduce him to Jesus and his truth and watch him you know, start following Jesus, his life started to change, and, and he came to me one morning, and he said, Brad, I just want you to know, um, because of the impact you've made in my spiritual life, because you've really come alongside and helped me become a follower of Jesus, I wanted to give you a present, and so I bought you a gift, and I said, well, you don't have to do that, I, you know, I don't need to do that, what is it? No, I, I didn't actually say that. Um, <laughs> He didn't have to do that, but that's really nice. And and what he handed me, the gift of appreciation for the impact I made in his life to follow Jesus, the gift he gave me was a lottery ticket he bought for me. I obviously had kind of failed in helping him to really understand, you know, who he should be pursuing. But he gave me a lottery ticket, and you just need to know, I mean... Not like the greatest in the history of the world, if you've got the money to spend a buck on a lottery ticket, I get that, but, but really, to, to invest our money in luck when we could invest our money in other things, I don't play the lottery. But man, when he, when he gave me that ticket, I thought, this is the best of both worlds. I didn't buy it, and I could win. <laughs> this is awesome. And I got all caught up in this thing, I could win. And I actually thought I had a great, crowd. in fact, I thought I couldn't lose because I felt like I had a couple of legs up on this lottery. First of all, the guy had bought it in the name of Jesus to give to me to thank him for the spiritual investment I made. God was going to make me win. That's what I thought. And then on the other side of the equation, I thought, you know, a lot of believers think it's the worst sin in the history of the world to have a lottery ticket. And so if I won the lottery, you know, it could ruin my ministry. So I thought Satan would be for me winning too. So I thought God's on my side. Satan's on my side. I'm going to be rich. You know, that's kind of how I approach this thing. I lost, you know, they, they failed me. Um, but, but these two incidences revealed to me that I, I had not transformed my view of money at all. I, I still was really motivated by it. I was still really driven by it. I could become obsessed with it, and I thought it, would, it could be the tool, the instrument that would transform my life. And I got there with a couple of questions that I had to ask myself. And I'm going to ask you these questions because I believe many of us think it's the people out there that aren't in churches that that struggle with this. But us, we in here, ooh, we've got it all together. That's a load of manure, friends. We're the ones that struggle with this. We struggle with this. In fact, you know what happens after we come in here? We go out there. We're those people that have the problem, that have the tension points. And so here, two questions that helped me get there that might help you get there. The first one was this, how would I feel if really, not through deception, but if really I I had a million, a hundred million dollars drop in my lap? How would I feel if I had a hundred million dollars drop in my lap? And my answer, I bet you, is pretty close to yours. I I said, if I had a hundred million dollars like that, I I think for the first time in my life, I'd feel free. I feel free. I'm free. I, I don't have to do anything I don't want to do. I don't have to go anywhere I don't want to go. I don't have to suck up to anybody to be this. I don't have to be dependent on the economy, or the government, or corporate America. I don't have to be this. I, can, I mean, I'm free. I'm free of bill collectors. I'm free of burden. I'm free. That's what I think I would feel if I had $100 million. And I'm sure you could relate to that. I, I think if I had $100 million drop in my lap, I'd for the first time in my life feel secure. Like, oh, my. I, I'm, I'm set. I'm good to go. I'll spend 90% of it, give God 10% of it, good to go, you know, that kind of a thing. And it's like secure. I, if I fell into $100 million, I think I would feel um, powerful. Like, boy, my voice matters now. My voice matters now. The people aren't going to miss me now. I've got $100 million. I, I think that I would feel as if I was finally in control. Other people weren't controlling me I could now control my own life I think if I fell into a hundred million dollars I would feel probably for the first time important like I had some value and people are going to notice I think that I would feel fulfilled happy like man I've arrived the only problem is I'd feel those for a short time and then I'd realize that money doesn't provide that no matter how much or how little we have that's not where it comes from then I asked myself a second question I want to ask you. So ask yourself, this week, contemplate, how would I feel if I landed in $100 million? And the second question I had to ask myself is, how would I feel if I were God? And this is big. You know, I, I'll never be God. That's fantasy. It takes imagination. I'll also never have $100 million land in my lap. That's fantasy. That's imagination. So how would I feel if I were God? And you know what I had to ultimately answer, if I was being honest? I think I'd feel the exact same way. I'd feel like, wow, I'm free because God is free. Self-sufficient. Doesn't have to depend on anyone, right? I I think I would feel like I was secure because I would be secure. I'm God. Who's going to take me down? I would feel powerful because I am powerful. I'd I'd feel like I was in control because I am in control. I I would feel like, like I was fulfilled because I would be fulfilled. I'm God for goodness sake. I'd feel like I was valuable and worth something because God is the greatest value in the whole world. And so it was interesting to me that I would feel the same if I had a hundred million dollars that I would feel if I were God which pointed out my problem. The reality of my life and I bet you it's the reality of your life to a great extent as well and here's that reality. Money promises what only God can provide and we believe it. Money promises what only God can provide. Power, control, security, influence, value, happiness, fulfillment. That's what it promises, but only God can provide. Let me just give you examples of this. Power. Money promises power, but it doesn't give it. Do you know, if, if you have hundred million million, oh Oh yeah, you have some power and influence to buy some people and to do some things, but you know what you don't have power over? You don't have true power, because you don't have power over life and death. Steve Jobs, one of the most creative men in a very long time, kind of dysfunctional in many ways as well if you've read his biography, but guy was worth billions, but he had no power whatsoever to prevent, prevent himself from dying in his 50s. No power. He really doesn't offer power. Doesn't give you power to save your marriage, to... Find love doesn't give you power to ensure your kids' lives will be fulfilled, and they don't give you no power at all. A hundred million dollars doesn't offer any power at all. It's a, it's a lie, but God does. Look at First John 4, 4. You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you, speaking of God himself, is greater than the one who's in the world. God's the one who has true power. God's the one who has true control. Money promises security, but security is only something God can provide. Once again, you can go through the same list. We have no security. Just because you have $100 million doesn't mean you won't go bankrupt. Just because you have $100 million doesn't mean you won't get sick and die. Just because you have $100 doesn't mean your marriages won't fall apart, your families won't fall apart, you, you'll be, you won't be empty and destruct, self-destruct. It doesn't mean you won't have addictions in life that ruin you. It doesn't mean you won't be insecure. Are you kidding me? In fact, some of the most insecure people in the world are the people who have the most. Insecure about why people are pursuing them. Insecure about why people want them. It's crazy. Only God can provide security. Look at 1 Timothy 4.8. Godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both present life and the life to come. You see, even if money does, and it doesn't, but even if money does provide absolute security during this life, you're going to (laughs) die. and then it holds no power or sway whatsoever but God holds you secure in this life and forever it's crazy money promises freedom but freedom is something only God can provide in fact i have found that often people with the most are the most in bondage not free at all but jesus is the one who can set us free john 8:36 so if the son sets you free you'll be free Indeed, money promises fulfillment, but fulfillment—something only God can provide—and I'm going to tell you it's right here. And I, I know that we had, um, you know, a parade of traffic coming in this weekend, and I appreciate you fighting through that. And you know, uh, that's why we have four services here in Plymouth so that you can go to other services instead of the eleven. But whichever one you come, thanks for fighting the traffic. But some of you missed the opening of the service. But at the opening of the service, we did a video. And it was a really cool video uh, with an, an academic with this really neat voice talking about how, you know, it's stupid to pursue any kind of work or any kind of pursuit in life that you don't have a passion for and you don't desire. Did you see that, some of you? And I'm gonna tell you, first time I heard that, I went, well, "That's good. It's really good." And then I started thinking, and I went, "That's bad. That's really bad." It sounds good and there's some truth sprinkled into that. It's just not true that you should never pursue anything, do anything, pursue any vocational investment where you don't have an absolute passion, an absolute desire to do it. It's just not true. And let me tell you the problem with that statement and I had to think it through. The first problem with it is that it totally leaves God out. Do what you want to do. Do what you desire to do. Only follow those things that create an itch in you and that that stir up passion in you because anything else would be stupid. And here's what I found about my life. I found that almost always the things that that create passion in me are the opposite of the things that God wants for me. And this is also what I found out. When I pursue my passions, when they're contrary to God, it leaves me empty and unfulfilled and in self-destructive places. But when I pursue God's passions, even when I don't desire them, it ultimately leads to fulfillment in my life. What that guy said was nuts. We shouldn't follow our desires. We should follow his desires, which is why Jesus taught us to pray, Your kingdom come, your will be done, not mine. Right? Interesting. There's a second problem I have with that guy's view, and the second problem is this. If we're really going to experience life in the the highest way, we have to, in life, do things we don't desire to do at times. Look, at if I didn't do things that I don't desire to do at times, I wouldn't have a marriage, I wouldn't have kids, I wouldn't be the pastor of this church, to which some of you would say that'd be awesome. I wouldn't do, you know, on and on it goes, because... I would be doing all the wrong things. Because if we're going to truly live life, right, we have to do what we don't desire to do at times. I'll give you an example. Forgive. I have love and relationships that I'd never have if I only did what I desired to do because I have never felt like forgiving, ever. I have felt like killing a lot. <laughs> but forgiving, no. But because of forgiveness, doing what I didn't desire to do, I have love and relationships that I cherish more than anything in the world. Do you know? Do you know if we're really going to live life well, we have to say no to some things that we desperately want to say yes to, and we have to say yes to things that we desperately want to say no to? This guy's advice is ludicrous. We have to work. And even if you have the perfect job with all of your desires in line with it, It's still work. I I, I believe I'm doing what I was created to do, and I believe I'm doing it where I was created to do it. But I'm going to tell you, much of my job isn't stuff that I'd want to do. I mean, I'd like to just have fun and pass everything bad to the staff. So that's my goal, actually. (laughs) It's just not working very well. So, I mean, you have to work. And you know what the Bible says? The Bible says if a man doesn't work he shouldn't eat. And if a man doesn't provide for his family, he could be worse than an infidel. And my point is, you have to do things at times you don't desire to do. I have a third problem with this guy's comment. Even if you only do what you want to do and you only follow passions and desires and you're successful at it and you make all kinds of money like this guy said you would, you still won't be fulfilled apart from God. One of the most successful guys in the world was Solomon he was wise, he was powerful, he was prosperous and you know what he says in the book of Ecclesiastes he says there was no pleasure that he wanted that he didn't pursue he lived by that guy's philosophy and you know what Solomon ultimately said look at Ecclesiastes chapter 2 verse 11 he says when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve everything was meaningless, a chasing after the wind nothing was gained under the sun pursuing your desires isn't the key to finding fulfillment and happiness it's just not John 10.10, Jesus says, that's the thief's advice. He comes to steal and kill and destroy, but I have come, Jesus says, that you have life and have it to the full. Fulfillment is something only God can give. Money will never do it. There's nothing wrong with money. It will just never provide what only God can provide. And our problem is that we're trying to replace God with it. Me too. One last one is value. We, We think that those who have, you know, successfully built and amassed wealth are valuable, they're important, and we're nobody's. It's just not true. God gives value, not money. God gives value. And the reason we feel so insignificant and so meaningless and we, we feel so lacking in value in this world is because we're leaving God out and trying to replace him with something that can't give us worth. Look at Mark eight thirty six. Jesus said it, What good is it for a man to gain the whole world, yet forfeit his soul? What good is that? It's no good at all. And the reality for me, I'm just trying to be in an honest conversation. This isn't me attacking you. This isn't. I've sat in churches where the pastor was up there pretending he had it all together and he was attacking This isn't it. This is me sharing the reality of my life and kind of leading you into a conversation for yourself. If I'm honest, when I look back at the times that I've longed for God to bless me financially, and by the way, those are the spiritual terms I put to me wanting to be rich and when I'm obsessed and focused on money. Oh, God, bless me financially. You know, when I look back at those times, it wasn't for a good reason that I wanted him to bless me financially. In fact, it was so that I wouldn't have to ultimately depend on him for what only he could give me. I wouldn't have to depend on him for power because he gave me money. I wouldn't have to depend on him for security because he gave me money. I wouldn't have to depend on him for control because he gave me money. I wouldn't have to depend on him for fulfillment because he gave me money. In fact, when you really look at my life, when I've really begged God to do something for me profound in the financial world, I've been depending on him To give me money so I would no longer have to depend on him. And I believe this is where the majority of us in our prayer lives are. Oh God, I just need you to bless me so I don't need you anymore. And he's not going to do it. It doesn't work that way. Whether we have money or not, whether we're poor or rich, he's the only source for these things. Power, security, control, happiness, fulfillment. And when we forget this, and I often have, it messes us up. So we have to understand two truths. Two, antithetical, contrasting truths as we build a foundation and understanding why money has become such a a mess in our lives. Why so many of us are dealing in such difficult ways with the, the economy of our lives. And why we don't like people talking about money because it gets so close to home. And here's the first of those truths. Money has the power to control and destroy people. Money doesn't have to control and destroy people. Money is not evil on its own. Money is not bad. There's nothing wrong with having money. There's nothing wrong with it. Nothing wrong with not having a lot of money. But the problem is, what we do because of our view of money, we allow it to control and destroy us. Look at 1 Timothy 6, 9 and 10. People who want to get rich fall into temptation, into a trap, and into many foolish and harmful desires that ultimately, instead of making their life, ruin their life. Plunge them into ruin and destruction. And then look what it says. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Not money. I hate it when people say, money's the root of all evil. No, it's not. The love of money is what drives us to try and replace the love of God with the love of money. to The power of God with the power of money. And so some people, this passage goes on, eager for money. Like I was with with the sweepstakes, you know, in the lottery. Whoa! Uh, Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith. They've wandered away from depending on God for what only He can give, and they've pierced themselves with many griefs. Because when you try to replace God with anything, it always fails. And this is where we are. And sometimes we try to replace God with prayer Oh, dear Jesus, give me this so I don't have to have you anymore. And it's just ludicrous. I'll give you an example, and this once again shows that believers are very susceptible to this. And once again, I just need to say it. Very often, we in here think we don't need talks like that. It's the people out there that need talks like this, but we are the people out there. And very often, it's the people who are closest to Jesus who really miss this truth more than the people who are far away. And it's often true in my life, and I believe it's often true in your life. Because the example of this negative truth is Judas. Judas. He was one of the closest followers of Christ In the history of the world. He was one of the original 12 who left everything to follow Jesus. One of the 12 qualified, person of faith, sincere it seemed. How many of you name your kids Judas? And yet he was one of the closest Christ followers in history. What happened? He never fixed this thing that we deal with. That money can provide what only God can provide look at Matthew 26 verses 14 through 16 then one of the 12 the one called Judas Iscariot went to the chief priest and asked what are you willing to give me if I hand him over to you so they counted out for him 30 silver coins from then on Judas watched for an opportunity to hand him over when Judas decided he was going to betray Jesus what was the thing he asked for the replacement how much will you give me and you know there are all kinds of layers of what Judas was doing here But what he really wanted to do is get Jesus to do what he wanted him to do. And so he was turning to money to get the power, the control, the security, the fulfillment he was looking for. But it failed profoundly. It always fails profoundly. And he ultimately hanged himself. Miserable. But there is a good side of truth to this. And that truth is, though, money really does have the power to control and destroy us. Jesus has the power to free and restore us. Jesus has the power to free us, to truly free us, and to truly restore us because all of us have been broken. Look at 1 Peter 1:18 and 19. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as money, silver or gold, that you were forgiven, made free, redeemed, restored from that messed up, dysfunctional, distorted, empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, from generation to generation. That's not how you were redeemed. You were redeemed with the precious blood of Christ, A lamb without blemish or defect. Jesus has the power to do what money cannot do, to free and restore us. He's the one we need to pursue. He's the one we need to dream of. He's the grand sweepstakes giver. He's the lottery ticket. He's the one. Great example of this is is Paul. Paul was not one of the original 12 followers of Jesus. In fact, when Judas was following Jesus, Paul was actually attacking Christ's followers. Paul. Paul, in the name of religion and power and prosperity, was persecuting those who were following Jesus. But one day, he met Jesus in a very unexpected place, and it transformed his life. And he went from filling his life with other things to filling his life with Jesus. And look what he says in Philippians 4, through 13. I'm not saying all of this because I'm in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether I'm well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. And then he tells us how. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. He says, "Do do you know what the secret is? It's not having a lot. Because you can be miserable with a lot or miserable with a little. The secret is depending upon the only one who can provide what we're really looking for. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. This reshapes me. I'm telling you, it reshapes me because I don't need to be the grand sweepstakes winner. I don't need to win a lottery. I don't need to be wealthy. I don't need to have more than everyone else to have what I'm really looking for. I just need Jesus, which means shouldn't Jesus be the one I pursue? At the beginning of the service, I said... When we showed that video, right afterwards, we showed John 6 and says, Would you stop running after the things that people who don't know God run after? Seek first the kingdom of God and his ways, and all these things will be added unto you. I need to make Jesus the primary pursuit of my life. I need to see him as more valuable and the sole provider of what I need instead of money, and so do you. Now, in in Duck Dynasty, um, I've been told, because if you think I watch that, junk, you're wrong. I mean, I'm sorry. I just don't. But I've been told that um, they're they're really faithful people, they're, uh, especially Phil is a strong believer and and others and um, in the show. And they give a life lesson in every one of their episodes, I've been told. And so in this series, we're going to give life lessons as well. So based upon these truths, based upon these realities, what's the life lesson? Here's the life lesson. The choice is ours as to what we'll live for and what we'll ultimately experience. The choice is ours. Will we make money, pursue money, devote ourselves to money as our master, as the provider of what we need, or will we pursue God as our master, the only true provider of what we need? Jesus said it. Look at Matthew 6, 24. No one can serve two masters. Either he'll hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And I have found that often I try to run both paths, And sometimes I even try to use Jesus to get to the money side. And it just doesn't work. I have to decide who's my master, who's my provider, who am I going to look for fulfillment from, and so do you. And to get there, I asked myself three questions that I'm going to throw out for you to ask yourself and to work through in your own life. And here was the first question. Will we look for our value in money, or will we look for our value in God? Will we look for our value in money and, you know, what it can buy and what it can do for us in this world? Or we, will we look for our value in God? John was one of the followers of Christ. We talked about Judas. We talked about Paul. John was one of the followers of Jesus, one of the original 12. And as a result of following Jesus, this guy suffered a lot, rejected by many, didn't, I mean, really kind of lived an a impoverished life kind of like Jesus did and ultimately was tortured and, and put in isolation on an island all by himself, really lived a, 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 a difficult life. But look what he said in 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. He says, Beloved, how great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called the children of God, and that is what we are. You know, you know what he's saying there? He's saying those of us who have Jesus are the grand sweepstakes winners. Th- those of us who who have Jesus have won the lottery because we're children of God. What's that mean? We're children of the one who's got power over all. We're children of the one who's in control over all. We're children of the one who can keep us secure. We're children of the one who can fill us from the inside out. We're children of the one who can give us joy even in Times of despair. We're children of God. How awesome is that? You have been handed a lottery ticket, a winning lottery ticket. The choice is yours. Do you cash it in or not? Do you put your faith in Jesus or do you keep putting your faith in what all people by nature put their faith in? The greatest gift you could ever give to yourself is to take God up on the offer to be his child. But to do that, you have to receive him. You have to make the choice. Look at John 1.12. To all who received him, to those who believed in his name, those who depended on him, not on what he gives, not on money, not on his gifts, but on him, on his death, his burial, his resurrection, those are the ones he gives the right to become children of God. And just before I bring this talk in for a landing, I just really want to encourage you. If you've never taken this step, you might be religious or not, but if you've never taken this step, take it now. I'm going to ask you before I give you the last two questions if you'd bow your heads in a word of prayer just for a moment and as we bow I just really want to encourage you in your heart take the words that I express in this prayer and make them yours to God just say Jesus I'm, I'm opening my life to you right now I've been depending on all kinds of other things to make me the man or the woman that I've I've wanted to be, but I, right now, I'm depending on you. You died on the cross to take away my failures and sin, and you rose again to give me new life. And so I'm trusting you, receiving you, accepting your gift to be a child of God. In Jesus' name, amen. If you just prayed with me, I really want to encourage you, if you're in one of our live worship experiences, take out the program that we give you and just... Fill it out. It's just a perforated card. And then on the bottom, check that circle that says you prayed with me to receive Jesus. And then there are boxes conveniently placed at every exit. Just throw it in there. And what we're going to do is we're going to send you a, a letter about next steps you can take in your relationship with God. And you're watching Northridge On Demand. Right there on your computer or tablet, just hit what next, and we'll do the same for you. Let me give you the last two questions. If we're really going to make the right choice and experience all that God can provide... And stop wasting our time pursuing what other things can provide, then we have to ask this question Will we seek our fulfillment through money, what it can buy and do for us, or will we seek our fulfillment through God? Look at how 1 Timothy 6, 6 and 7 says, Godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. Of course, because nothing is ever ours. Do you realize everything we have is ultimately God's? It's all His. And when we start experiencing life is when we start realizing that what we have isn't our salvation. He is our salvation, and then we become a manager of his resources. We have to decide, am I going to look for fulfillment outside of God or inside of God? And finally, look at Matthew chapter six, verses nineteen through twenty one. Don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in a steal. It's only temporary. But store up for yourselves true treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy, where thieves don't break in and steal, because that's where true treasure exists. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The last question I have to ask myself is this. Will I love and live for money, or will I love and live for God? Will you love and live for money, or will you love and live for God? And remember, the choice is yours. You have the ability to experience God's power, God's control, God's security, God's fullness in your life, but the choice is yours. And if you're like me, quite often, you're creating a tension between what you follow and what you pursue. Make sure it's him, and when you do, you'll experience all he has for you. So glad you're here. We'll see you next time. Thanks, everybody.